0: This morning before we eat communion, I'd like to ask and answer one of the biggest questions that human beings have ever struggled with. Probably take us about 10 minutes. That's all I'm thinking. Why is it that bad things happen to good people? You know, that's a question that Christians in every generation have struggled with and written about. At times the wording may be slightly different, but the core question remains the same. If God is in control and if he is good, then why do bad things happen to good people?" Now, on the other side of that, many perceptive Christians have entered the discussion with a very, a, a very good counter-question, which is, why is it that good things ever happen to bad people? If we understand the gospel the way that we should, then that question makes sense as well. Both of those questions are honest, both are trying to understand the way that God has the universe running. But I think that first one is probably the one that still still hits the hardest. Why is it that bad things happen to good people? There's one book in the Bible that we turn to regularly when we seek to answer this question, and with good reason. It's the book of Job, and if you've got it, I'd love for you to open it this morning. Matter of fact, you can open straight to the end, because that's where we're going to focus this morning. We go to the book of Job because in Job, a lot of bad things happen to a person who is actually a good person. Maybe more of an intense case here than anywhere else, we see bad things happening to somebody who is good. Here's a quick summary of the book so that we can get to chapter 42. As the book opens, Job is presented to us as a blameless and upright man. Whether you're talking about the human perspective or the divine perspective, any way you look at Job, from whichever direction you're trying to understand him, he is a blameless and upright man. He's a man of integrity and deep spirituality. In fact, he is so righteous that the divine perspective on Job garners special attention from the devil whom God allows to, to afflict Job with terrible suffering, extreme suffering, in fact, the likes of which few other humans have experienced. And God gives the devil permission to afflict Job terribly, but not to crush him. And Job does suffer. He learns grief on an extreme level as he loses all of his children in a day. And he learns all sorts of other forms of sorrow as his wealth is destroyed, his honor is lost, his health is taken away, and even the people who are closest to him, his wife and his friends, they don't gather around him to to re- give him some sort of relief or comfort or support. They revile him as an evildoer against all the evidence of his upright holiness. And so they come to Job rather than to say, I'm sorry and we're here for you, they come to Job to say you simply can't be the good person that we might have thought you to be. Job learns through all of these things how to suffer in his story. And after that and several lengthy conversations between Job and his friends and God, we get to chapter 42. And I'd like to read just a a bit of a section, a bit of a lengthy section here from chapter 42 as this narrative finishes out the book of Job. I'm going to start in verse seven. After the Lord had spoken these words to Job, the Lord said to Eliphaz the Temanite, my anger burns against you and against your two friends, for you have not spoken to me what is right as my servant Job has. Now therefore, take seven bulls and seven rams and go to my servant Job and offer for yourselves a burnt offering and my servant Job shall pray for you, for I will accept his prayer not to deal with you according to your folly, for you have not spoken of me what is right, as my servant Job has. So Eliphaz the Temanite, and Bildad the Shuhite, and Zophar the Naamathite went and did what the Lord had told them, and the Lord accepted Job's prayer. And the Lord restored the fortunes of Job when he had prayed for his friends. And the Lord gave Job twice as much as he had before. Then came to him all his brothers and sisters and all who had known him before and ate bread with him in his house. And they showed him sympathy and comforted him for all the evil that the Lord had brought upon him. And each of them gave him a piece of money and a ring of gold. And the Lord blessed the latter days of Job more than his beginning. And he had 14,000 sheep. And six thousand camels, and a thousand yoke of oxen, and a thousand female donkeys. He also had seven sons and three daughters. And then I'm skipping to verse 15. And in all the land, there were no women so beautiful as Job's daughters, and their father gave them an inheritance among their brothers. And after this, Job lived 140 years and saw his sons and his sons' sons four generations. And Job died. An old man full of days. Now, there's a lot of good that happens there as the conclusion to Job's story, but maybe for some of us that ending still feels unsatisfactory because it still kind of leaves us with the question of why. Why would all these bad things be allowed to happen to Job? What was the real reason why God allowed all that suffering to happen to him? It feels like the biggest moral conundrum in the book, and it feels like the biggest loose end in the story. Is there anything there that you see that attempts to tie that up? Well, I think I see it. And I think I see it in verses 8 and 9, where it was Job Who provided a sacrifice for his friends, who interceded on their behalf before God, and God forgave those men based on the actions of Job. Now, I just want to ask you this morning are you hearing the same story that I'm hearing? A blameless servant of the Almighty God who endures indescribable suffering, whose friends will not vouch for his righteousness, in fact, He is surrounded by people who look down on him from a position of hypocrisy and condescension and judgment. And yet, God restored that servant, bringing him out of his suffering and exalting him above those around him. And through that servant, God gave forgiveness to others. Are you hearing the same story that I'm hearing? Job was awfully like another one of God's suffering servants, a man of sorrows who was acquainted with grief. Now, are the parallels perfect between the two? No, but there are parallels, and they are strong. And ultimately, they bring us back to the initial two questions. Why would God let bad things happen to good people? And why would God let good things happen to bad people? In the final assessment of Job, it turns out that God let bad things happen to a good person specifically so that He could make good things happen to some people who didn't deserve it. And that, brothers and sisters, is the story that we're in. Because that shows the love of God, a God who is merciful to the ungrateful and the evil. And I can only think of one other story in the Bible that does that same thing on such an intense level and even grander than this one. There is a story in the Bible that takes this to a whole other level. Because as wonderful as God's love was through Job, it is in Christ that He has shown His unmatched love through the suffering servant and Redeemer. God accepted Job's sacrifice as intercession on behalf of His friends and they were forgiven by Job's intercession. And praise the name of God that He has accepted Jesus' infinitely perfect sacrifice and the forgiveness that we can have through Him. It's remarkable, isn't it? Because good people is not what we are. Unrighteous people do not inherit the kingdom of God. People who are sexually immoral, who worship idols, who commit adultery or practice homosexuality, people who are greedy or who steal, who swindle others, people who are drunkards or who revile and slander others with their words, those are bad people who don't inherit the kingdom of God. And such were some of us. But we were washed. We were sanctified. We were justified, not by anything that we have done, but in the name of God's suffering servant who has interceded for us. And while your mind is uploading all of that from Job chapter 42, can we just go back and reread one more verse? Let's look at verse 11. Then came to him all his brothers and sisters and all who had known him before and ate bread with him in his house. And they honored him with sympathy and admiration and gifts. Brothers and sisters, here we are this morning gathered in the home, in the house of the suffering servant. Gathered together for fellowship with Jehovah's servant, who was debased and who suffered terribly, and yet whom God has elevated to be the greatest among many brothers. And we have come to eat bread in his house. What a privilege. What a blessing. And so eat and drink communion this morning, remembering why bad things sometimes happen to good people. It's so that God Can make good things happen for bad people like us.